0: Hello, and welcome to BioEats World, a podcast at the intersection of bio, healthcare, and tech. I'm Olivia Webb, the editorial lead for bio and health at A16Z. Today's episode is with Kurt Adams, the CEO of Optum Financial, a division of Optum, which is in turn a division of United Health Group. At the beginning of the episode, Kurt explains more about how Optum Financial fits into the broader UHG picture. Kurt is joined by Daisy Wolf, investment partner for A16Z Bio and Health, and Mark Andrusko, A16Z investment partner focused on fintech. Together, they talk about what Optum Financial does and what its ambitions are, how consumers might interact with fintech while seeking care or participating in healthy behaviors, and what a fintech-integrated version of the healthcare experience could look like. Let's get started.
1: Kurt Adams, welcome to BioEats World. We would love if you could start today by telling us your story and a little bit about how you ended up as the CEO of Optum Financial.
2: Thanks, Daisy. It's great to be here today. Prior to joining Optum, I really spent a career in payments and fintech from organizations such as U.S. Bank, Elevon Merchant Services, and FleetCore Technologies everywhere from doing MA and corporate development to product roles to running business units. So it's been, you know, really, a, I would say, a, a diverse background in terms of B2, B2B consumer, but with an underlying thread of payments in fintech. So that's the, the last 20 years plus in a nutshell.
3: Kurt, you know, obviously... United Health Group is a massive and well known Fortune 5 company. But maybe for our FinTech friends listening, could you just give us a little overview of, of UHG and specifically how Optum and Optum Financial fit into the equation?
2: The mission of our organization is to help people live healthier lives and to help make the, the health system work better for everyone. So I guess that raises the question of what does better look like? in today's world and really it's it's creating an experience of engaging with the health system being more connected when people engage in the system they feel more connected it's more intuitive and it's more personal that's really i would say bringing the vision to life and you know in more broadly it's bringing order and efficiency to really the unending flood of point solutions that exist in the market. And that's really what we deal with today. And it makes the system more difficult and more expensive to navigate by having all of these disparate point solutions that exist in the market. Today, our organization is about 360,000 colleagues and we have two distinct businesses, Optum on one side, which really delivers care aided by technology and data, and United Healthcare that offers a full range of health benefits, affordable coverage, and really looking to simplify that experience of care for the patients and members. So think about the United Health Group is really in those two primary businesses.
3: One of the things that we were most excited to dig into, you know, doing our prep for this recording was the Optum Bank. And, you know, we felt that mm-hmm. most listeners would be very surprised to hear that Optum has a $20 billion bank, which is certainly, you know, from a fintech perspective, larger than many of the largest neobanks. So would love for you to tell us a little bit about the history of the bank and, and where you see your role in sort of the ecosystem.
2: We've been at this for two decades. And really the focus around forming that bank was around the time of high deductible health plans and consumers needing to have a way to better save for and plan for a, I would say, the financial planning around healthcare. And that was really what the bank was designed to do, was to enable that savings and deliver products we call health benefit accounts. So health savings accounts, flexible spending accounts, accounts that are really funded typically through an employer that consumers can also match their funds to to help them better pay for air. That was the genesis 20 years ago. And as you said, Mark, during that time, uh, we've built a business that has 58,000 employers, about 20 billion of assets under management, and 17 million or so individuals walking around with one of our cards. But in addition to the bank, we've built other capabilities and other infrastructure. The other one was really an inspiration that we had to develop a network to pay providers more efficiently when it comes to their claims being paid by by payers. And I would say over this time, we've built a network now that's connected to over 2 million care providers. And when I mean connected, it means digitally connected into their bank accounts to make their payments. And we're making these payments on behalf of about 150 payers where claims are running through that system. And this is a really unique asset that has been built over time, really, and bringing this to life during the pandemic. Congress authorized the distributions of billions of dollars in payments to care providers, but they didn't have a connected network to get those payments to them. And this was back in April of 2020. We received a call to help facilitate those payments. And over the course, we delivered $150 billion of payments to about 440,000 care providers as part of the CARES Act. And this is a a big percentage if you think about the overall health system, but well within our capabilities as a network to be able to deliver that. So over this time, we've really built this infrastructure in the form of capabilities that allow these experiences to happen, whether it be when consumers are paying for healthcare Where payers paying for providers, or providers actually being able to receive payment for services provided in a more efficient way.
1: What is Optum Financial trying to build in the future, whether it be for consumers or patients or providers?
2: So Daisy, it's a, you know, I would say that's a great point. Right now, where we're really focused is taking those last two decades building this infrastructure and building these capabilities to now help define the next two decades in healthcare when it comes to payments and financing. And to be able to leverage these capabilities to curate experiences that don't exist today, at least when it comes to the healthcare system. And from a consumer standpoint, it's really enabling retail and medical claims to be processed at the point of service where payments happen with the same ease and convenience that consumers have come to expect in their day-to-day lives. And one of the areas that we're starting to do this is that a network that we have that's connected to six of the 10 largest grocers in the U.S., and is connected to 94% of Americans live within no more than five miles of a participating retailer. And what this network allows us to do is adjudicate an item, whether it be healthy food or an over-the-counter medication, at the SKU level. So we're able now to disperse a benefit knowing exactly what that consumer purchased and if it qualifies for that benefit where the consumer no longer has to submit a claim, save their receipts. It just happens real time within our network. And on the provider side, you know, in a similar way, moving this from a network that remits payments to the provider on behalf of the payer and and playing a far deeper role within their payments and financing really to deliver on the promise of real-time payments and convenient access to liquidity that they don't have today
1: it seems like on the consumer side we are trending toward a world that Optim is building where as opposed to having a medical insurance card and maybe an hsa or an fsa card and a grocery benefit card if i'm on medicare advantage there would be a, a unified one card experience where one card works for everything, and there is way more transparency in healthcare. Is that what you're saying on the consumer side?
2: I would say, Daisy, that's really close. And we've already started down that path. So this year, we did roll out a version of the one card, which is bringing together, call it a health card that you would get from your insurer with your benefits and overlaying a payment mechanism on top of it. So which it allows a consumer now, this is in the Medicare Advantage market, which is a very discreet market in order to disperse benefits that have been loaded by the federal government to those members and be able to use the, the benefits that exist within their payer and a payment vehicle in one card. Moving forward, We really want to take a capability like that to the broader population, Daisy, where essentially if you think about a platform connected to these networks that really can have all these different curses, if you will, underline that card or the app, whatever form factor you want in order to be able to deliver against a service or an item that is around health and wellness. So Yeah, so I would say it's very similar to what you described.
1: And then on the provider side, it seems like today, you know, a patient goes to the doctor, they show their medical insurance card, the doctor or medical provider provides a service. And then they send that to a coder, and the coder translates the service into billing codes, and the billing codes are then sent to a clearinghouse, and then the clearinghouse could send it back or they could forward it to the insurer. And eventually, like, you know, sometime between seven and 90 days later, a provider is paid. And this unique flow of funds in healthcare seems like a reason that a lot of healthcare providers have cash flow issues. In a sense, they have to pay their staff every two weeks, but insurance might not pay them for. Months. Correct. What I'm hearing you say is we might be trending toward a world where providers are instead of waiting for money, it's quite the opposite. They're fronted money on the first day of the month, or payments are, are far more instantaneous than they are today. Is is that what you're saying?
2: Yes, Daisy. And I would say that where we're not today, where we are is allowing the system that you just described—the funds flow would still operate in a very similar way. We're able to step in and align that claims information to the payment flow, which puts us in a position to essentially deliver real time financial adjudication. Now, while that claim still needs to run through the process that you described, we're able to, for example, have a very clear line of sight into that provider's claims history and the ability to pay the provider for their next 30 days of claims on day 1 of every month. So clearly over those 30 days the way those claims come in at the end of the month there'll obviously be a true up of how many claims came in versus how much was advanced, but it allows the the ability to really bring the financial part up to the front of the month and solve that liquidity problem as the claims run through the system. Now, we are working toward a market where ideally you can adjudicate that medical expense and payment at the point of care. And there are opportunities in some verticals, dental being one, where we can really start to look at not only the adjudication of the claim, but of the payment at the point of care. But I would say as we work through those, the system is a very complicated system. We've really focused on how can we use the data that we have in order to really help accelerate the financial side of it for providers to get them the liquidity that they need when they need it and just to be clear this solution is a multi-payer solution so it's really up to whichever payer the the provider wants to point the claims from into our capability it's it's payer agnostic yeah this is just such
3: an interesting example to us of of why we get so excited about you know embedded fintech and embedded financial services because on the one hand you're able to really meet consumers where they are and so you're delivering functionality to them in a in a setting in which they're already transacting in some capacity and so in this case it's the millions of consumers who might have united health policies or see one of the optum providers and then on the other hand it's just a remarkable case study of the scale potential
2: i mean really think about it as a consumer when it comes to paying for healthcare in the traditional way It's usually a point in people's lives that it's not something that's a positive event in their life where they're sick or they need to see the doctor or there's something wrong. And the ability to have a mechanism to know, oh boy, if, if, if I bought this, I didn't realize it was covered by my plan. And at the point of sale, the plan just goes ahead and funds that through this mechanism. I don't have to go look it up, submit something. It just all starts happening real time. So we can really start to create a connected experience where incentives can be loaded by employers, by payers, by really anybody for a consumer. And as they start to eat healthier or exercise more or engage in the system, they just start receiving this benefit. And it just works and it becomes part of their day to day lives. And the payment can really play a role in facilitating that transaction but it really needs to be embedded into a mechanism that really connects with how they live their day-to-day life
3: a very apt segue into the next topic we wanted to dive into for which we will ask you to put back on your your payments exec hat because we're going to go deep into some payments lingo here uh, if you'll indulge us sure you mentioned that this has deliberately been built as sort of able to accommodate a multi-payer system But I think one really interesting element of what you have going with this sort of vertical integration between United and Optum is the unique opportunities you might have to build the equivalent of a closed-loop payment network rather than an open-loop payment mechanism. So an open-loop payment card is one that can be used at any location that accepts cards authorized by that payment card's network. So for example, if you think about a general-purpose credit card like a Chase Sapphire Reserve, which has Visa as the network, you can use that card anywhere that accepts Visa. The opposite of an open-loop card is a closed-loop card, um, which can only be used at a specific merchant. So if you think about something like the Target red card, for example, that can only be used at Target, which tends to reduce the number of parties that need to be involved in a given transaction to authorize said transaction, and so has implications on the economics. And so if you think about the different parts of the ecosystem that you touch, whether it's flows of funds between payers and providers or between consumers and merchants, like where do you find the sort of most potential for benefit from this vertical integration, uh, you know, that you guys have sort of uniquely happening for you?
2: So to give you an idea, we're, we're up today, the pipe is mixed, meaning that we do run off of, you know, two major networks today that are going to facilitate an open-loop transaction. And a certain amount of data will flow through that network. We have a closed-loop network or proprietary network that allows us to do that SKU level of adjudication at approximately 55,000 retail locations in the U.S. And that's a closed loop. And we would define that as both the issuing and the acquiring. End-to-end, we have both sides of the network. Our provider network runs through both the card rails and the ACH rails. And the network that we have there providers means that there's account information that we have with those providers that allows us to fund them. And there's payment claims flow coming from the payer that allows that that transaction to happen. So that we have the two sides to that network, even though the literal network that we're running off of isn't proprietary, it's ACH, or you know, one of the major brands through a virtual card, or is, is primarily the other way that we get payments to providers. And so going forward, we think about, these different networks that I've just described both open loop and closed loop on what is the experience that we need to curate for the end consumer, employee, what have you. And we do also feel that both open and closed loop networks are critical to solving this this problem at scale. And it's really just a matter of the speed and the data and the connection points that we need in order to facilitate the experience we wanna facilitate.
1: We have a lot of startups that are operating at the intersection of healthcare and FinTech who listen to this podcast, and I'm sure would be interested to know how you think about your partnership philosophies. Optum Financial is a behemoth, and how are you deciding when to build, buy, or partner for a piece of technology?
2: Daisy, that's evolving. I would say historically, we have been a build or buy philosophy. And I would say over the course of the years, just as an organization, we have done a lot of M&A. And we've also built a lot. Over this past year or so, we have developed some strategic partnerships on the payment side that have really helped us I would say not only get to market quicker, but deliver a better product experience in the market by aligning with companies that do something really well with what we have in order to unlock an experience that would be very difficult for one of us to unlock on our own. We are really looking at partnerships in a way that how can we collectively curate something that we can't curate on our own. And that's really how we think about ourselves as a business and the role that software helps in, in doing that, where we have these, these different vertical stacks that may exist underneath, but is there a layer that we can put over those stacks that allows us to connect things in a way that haven't been connected before to deliver an experience?
1: I'm wondering, as you look at the landscape right now, and you look at your full tech stack, what are the parts of Optum Financial that are still manual or where you are actively looking to partner with a software company? In other words, if you were going to put out an RFP for startups right now, what kinds of companies are you looking to partner with?
2: This is my personal view. It's very difficult to get people to do something new. So, is there a way for us to embed it in other, I would say, experience parts, the experience layers, apps, what have you, where people are already engaging today and to be able to connect into those to, I would say, deliver some of the experiences that we talked about here? And rather than trying to get a fundamental shift for how people behave. So, that would be, one, and it could take on you know a whole host of different, I would say, consumer experiences. But anywhere where you know for um that people are engaging with daily to the point that there would be a role in health or wellness, in paying or saving or planning for that, that would be an area. as we think about the, you know other parts of the system, there could be other networks that exist today. And there's no reason why we can't connect to those networks in order to connect our platforms to those networks to be able to drive a different experience. I would say those would be two examples. On the B2B side, you know, I would say in other verticals or industries that I've been a part of, really the the ability to embed into the equivalent of the ERP that exists in that area and embed into a workflow of which those businesses are already engaging in day-to-day and to uh, bring payments and liquidity into that workflow that's complementary re- rather than another discrete event that they need to engage in. So those would be some examples of Where we would be thinking about partnerships and other opportunities.
1: Speaking of that consumer side, I know that you've recruited a lot of talent from top consumer companies outside of healthcare. I'm wondering if you can just tell us about those efforts and how you're trying to innovate on consumer experience with healthcare, which has historically been suboptimal.
2: You know, really, the philosophy have been has been how do we align domain expertise in healthcare with expertise and experience in other industries that have transformed these experiences. And they haven't only transformed these experiences, but they've done it at massive scale. Because the reality is today, if you think about the size of this industry being at $4 trillion that is running through it, Our organization alone connects with over 110 million consumers annually. And so when we bring something, scale is critical to bring that to market. So I remember having some of my early conversations three years ago with recruiting some of these people, there was really, I would say after about an hour from really going from why am I talking to you to I had no idea that this existed at this scale in this marketplace. And I would say really the the people that have made the leap to come over to the industry have been those that have been really successful in other industries in solving those problems that have been connected to the mission that we're focusing on over here and essentially to make people's lives better. Doing new things, it's hard, it takes longer than you ever thought, and it's more expensive. And it just takes a fortitude of working through and slogging through it. And I think being connected to that mission has allowed that to happen. And I would say the dynamic of the team that we've been building to, you know, I would say really run at a pace that going into it, I didn't think we could run at
3: as a payments and and sort of financial services um professional who's now found himself in this you know amazing seat of running a large um part of a of a large healthcare organization like what would your advice be to some of the folks out there who want to work in healthcare maybe in a in a financial services focused part of healthcare or or some other part of it like but are just hesitant to pull the trigger like you know what have you learned from your experience and what would you advise those folks
2: so what i've learned is And I know the term can be sometimes overused is constantly asking why, why do we have to do it this way? Why is this needed? And oftentimes I feel people come into this industry, which is, I really have to get up to speed and I need to be the expert in this industry. I would say do the exact opposite because you're really able to stay curious by not being part of it and constantly asking why. And you'll find it fascinating where oftentimes it really isn't a good answer. The answer can be, well, this is the way it's always been done. I mean, think about some very basic things in financial services. Did we think a few years ago that you'd be able to take a picture of a check and deposit it? Remember, it always had to be paper with a wet signature and Many believed that that was going to be forever, that you were never going to get around that problem until the industry did.
1: I came from consumer tack into healthcare. Mark came from financial... Services and now spends a huge percentage of his time in healthcare. We fundamentally believe this is a learnable industry, and like you said, there is so much that is happening in such old school manners. Uh, we still rely very much on fax machines in yes in healthcare. And so, if you are looking to make a real impact with technology and really disrupt a, a massive industry, we think there's not a better place to do it.
2: The real transformation we believe is around bringing trust into a system where trust doesn't exist today. Bringing the ability to create a trust bridge and then have a network that flows across that bridge is really the opportunity that we see. That again, tech can solve some of it, but just some sheer underlying processes that don't exist today is really required, I think, bringing those two together in a way that they haven't been brought together in this industry that we see them brought in other industries.
3: Kurt, last time we spoke, you know, one of the things you mentioned was as you all internally think about the sort of size of the prize here and the size of the opportunity, I think you estimated it at $100 billion of revenue potential across many of the different sort of money flows that exist in this ecosystem. Right. I thought our listeners would find it helpful to hear you kind of break down where you see that coming from and and what various money interactions yield that $100 billion TAM.
2: Again, Mark, as we've looked at that TAM, I would say we've conservatively sized it at $100 billion of revenue opportunity. And thinking about this space, really three primary drivers of that revenue. So In a fintech world, I would say a fee to run along that network would be, I would say, one driver. The other driver would be facilitating programs on behalf of payers, employers, and insurance companies. Running a program for them on behalf of their members, doing the card issuing, the processing, all that goes along with that would be another revenue stream. And the third revenue stream would be a fee associated to extending capital and the use of a balance sheet to provide liquidity into whatever entity we're providing that liquidity into. So think about it as a spread-based business on the liquidity and fee businesses on the network and a program management fee. Now, as we look at the world between a payer and provider or a consumer, th- yeah, there, there's a lot of different ways you can argue it. But there, I would say there's equal opportunity in both, depending just upon uh, what the contribution is of those three revenue drivers that I talked about. But really, we we see an equal opportunity in the B two B world and the consumer world. How to Explore that opportunity and how to realize that opportunity.
3: Maybe in an effort to wrap us up with something deliberately very open-ended, if you were to fast forward, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, what do you see as the future of fintech within healthcare?
2: I would say from a fintech perspective, we would see one, the realization of real-time payments at the point of care for both the provider and the consumer, and the payer. Really, what happens is the service is rendered, the claim is adjudicated, it's paid, it's settled, real time. A bill is not set. Now, there's the ability to, someone to look at it, but the the process that exists today, it works the way that people get in and out of an Uber. I would say on the consumer side, you think about, decades ago with American Express, how they created a travel network for people. And when you traveled and you utilized this network, you had a different experience than if you did it. And so our ability to have a network that can connect people together or connect people in a way to whether it be the fitness equipment buy, the, the apparel, the food, the medication, the broad, def- redefining that health and wellness world and having a network that facilitates that in a way that really people are maximizing their health and living healthier lives at a lower cost is a role that FinTech can play in connecting all of these discrete offerings to get a connected way. So I really see fintech playing this connectivity or this thread that really runs through the system and is able to connect experiences and discrete events in a way that we haven't known how to connect them before.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Kurt.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining BioEats World. BioEats World is hosted and produced by me, Olivia Webb, with the help of the bio and health team at A16Z and edited by Phil Hegseth. BioEats World is part of the A16Z podcast network. If you have questions about the episode or want to suggest topics for a future episode, please email bioeatsworld at a16z.com. Last but not least, if you're enjoying Bioweeds world, please leave us a rating please and Please review know that wherever the content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com disclosures.